and they just don't believe that for some reason or another. They think, you know, well, if I'm going to be a Christian, if I'm going to follow the Lord, uh, <clears throat> that means I'm going to have to give up everything I enjoy, and I'm going to be absolutely miserable. Well, that's just not true. The happiest people on the face of the earth are those that know Christ as their Savior. They know that they have a home in heaven. They know their sins have been forgiven. They know they don't have to depend upon themselves, but rather depend upon God. And I don't know how anybody could say, I know Christ is my Savior, and I'm not happy about it. It just doesn't work. So Solomon, Solomon, as he goes through all of these many verses and chapters here, is trying to convince us that wisdom is preferred over folly, and righteousness is preferred over unrighteousness. Now, in some of the chapters, it's real easy to divide the chapter up because there's different divisions and subject matter might, you know, consist of four or five different verses. But uh, in, in the last couple of chapters, it's been like I think I commented, it's kind of like the phone book. It just changes every line as to subject matter. And for that reason, we're just going to move from verse to verse just like it's written. And uh, as I've said before, God knew exactly what he was doing, and uh, he put it in the order that it needs to be considered. And so verse number 11, he says, By the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. Now, we're going to have more to say about that when we get over to chapter 14 and verse number 34. It says there that righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And so we'll comment on that. But here it is in a nutshell, and that is the blessing of the upright is in, by the blessings of the upright is the city exalted. That is, it's made better. It's lifted up. And so whenever we stop and think about, you know, America and uh, we look back at our heritage, and, and a lot of people have the idea, you know, being a, a Christian nation, they get the idea that meant that all of the, uh, all of the early settlers were all Christians. And, and that's just not true. It's, 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 it's uh, you know, the majority of them, uh, we're not Christians by our, the strictest definition of that, but all of them, all of them, whether they profess Christ as their Savior or not, all of them admitted to the fact that the Bible is indeed the proper rule, standard of conduct. And that's what we ought to follow. And so when we say we're a Christian nation, we mean we were founded upon Christian principles. We don't mean that everybody uh, was a Christian back uh, in the days of our founding fathers. And we look back at the way that God has blessed America, and that is exactly the reason for it. And here he says, by the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted. And our nation has been exalted as a result of uh, of the upright but here's the other side of the coin uh, here's the contrast but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked and so instead of being a blessing the wicked are like a curse to the city the state the nation however you want to look at it and this statement here reminds me of the great power that words have 
entire nations have been destroyed because people listen to the foolish counsel of, of wicked people. And uh, it, it just makes me wonder what we're hearing today uh, out of Washington. You know, and, and so, so, so many times I've made the statement, you know, you, you can take any, any problem that our politicians are dealing with at the time and go out here and stand on the street corner and ask the average man on the street, present to him the problem uh, that needs to be solved and, and, you know, get counsel from him. What do you think is the best solution to this problem? And you get better answers, generally speaking, than what you get from our lawmakers and, and politicians. I mean, it's just absolutely frightening whenever we think about the kind of so-called advice that we're getting today from those in positions of leadership. And it says that it, the city or the nation, is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked, by their counsel, by their direction, by their guidance. It brings about the downfall. And history bears that out. Now, verse number 12, it says, He that is void of wisdom despiseth his neighbor. Now, this being true, you know, whenever we think about the general attitude of people today, it shows how greatly wisdom is lacking because it is a common thing today for people to despise one another. And they usually express it verbally. And the, the, even more frightening than, than those men and women, you know, in Congress is the fact that our population put them there. You know, it's the voters that frighten me, the uninformed voters who, you know, just vote for so-and-so because, you know, uh, uh, along party lines or whatever it is because they get certain promises and benefits that they in, enjoy. And so they go in that direction instead of looking at what is right and what's not. But the whole the whole thing of it is is that there is a total lack of respect for one another today, and I can't think of a time when our nation has been so divided as it is, and people have no respect for one another. If you don't believe that, just get out here on the highway. I mean, you know, they'll not only cut you off, they'll send you some hand signals, and they'll, and you know, if you honk your horn, they're liable to shoot you. There's no respect for human life anymore, human dignity, and uh, and pe people, it's like they've got a chip on their shoulder. They're angry at the world, and so that's what it's talking about. People that lack wisdom, they. They despise people. It's so amazing to me that people can hate people on the basis of the color of their skin or this or that. And, and it's just amazing to me how that they can despise other people on that basis. And it's a shame and a reproach. And certainly, certainly none of that ought to ever be found in, uh, among God's people. Uh, and, and where it is, uh, it shows a lack of wisdom. Now, you know, I say that, and I can say it out of personal experience because I've preached in churches where uh, I can remember several years ago uh, a certain person had invited a black person to come to uh, a revival meeting. And you have no idea at what a stink that raised. All, all because, you know, the thought that this woman had invited a black person to come 
to the service like she had committed the unpardonable sin or something. So I'm telling you there are people in our society today that think that way. And it's warped thinking, it's wrong, it's sinful, and it just shows that, as we'd say back in Missouri, they don't have a lick of sense. They really don't. Anybody anybody that despises others, uh, certainly for no good reason, shows a lack of wisdom. So he that is void, that is empty of wisdom, despiseth his neighbor. But now notice, but a man of understanding holdeth his peace. You know, we usually, and that's why I just mentioned the fact that most generally whenever we detest someone or whenever we are angry with someone, uh, we usually express it in the form of words. And, and that's what he's talking about here. The person of understanding, they hold their peace. In other words, they know how to remain silent. And uh, th- there's no need for us to speak out against every fault and failure that we see in others. I mean, that keep us busy 24 hours a day, right? Because, you know, every one of us can think of some shortcoming in the life of the other person. None of us are perfect. And we want to talk about everybody's imperfections except our own. But the wise person realizes that uh, there's better things to do than to just criticize people. And the wise person is someone that holds their peace just because they're thinking it. You know, they don't say it. Remember, Solomon said, the fool fool uttereth all of his mind. And so we're better off a lot of times, uh, you know, like probably you heard your mother or daddy, if you're as old as I am, you heard them say, the old saying, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Well, that's really pretty good advice. A lot of people just haven't listened to it. But the wise person knows when to speak and when not to speak also. Now, verse 13, talk about talking. All right, we're on the subject of speech. And so it moves on uh, in that same same vein here. A, a tale bear revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. Did you ever tell someone something, you know, in confidence only to find out later that that person had told somebody else what you said? It hurts, doesn't it? You know, here you are entering into their confidence. You're saying, you know, to them, look, I... I'm going to tell you this. I've got a good reason to tell you. I think it'll be helpful information to you, or maybe it's a form of a prayer request. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you this, but now I I don't want you to repeat it. And uh, then later on you find out they've, they've been telling everybody they knew, and everybody says the same thing. I'm going to tell you this, but don't you tell anybody else. You know, mutual trust is the very cornerstone of good relationships. If we can't trust one another, our relationships are going to unravel. And whenever you betray the confidence of a person, you ruin their relationship. And uh, one of these days, you're going to find yourself without any friends. Nobody will want anything to do with you because they know they can't trust you. I'm so glad that I, I know people that I can confide in. And, you know, if it's, our, if I, it's our deacons and we're sitting in a room in a meeting somewhere, uh, or our trustees, and, and by the way, they're not the only ones. 
there are other church members that, if necessary, you know, I could divulge certain information and know beyond any shadow of a doubt that it's not going to go any further than this. Now, let me, let me give you something that might help you with this and, and, and remember this, and, and it'll help you whenever it comes to dealing with this kind of stuff. If somebody else will talk to you and divulge information that they were not supposed to tell you, you know, then you mark it down, they're going to tell somebody else because they've already betrayed somebody's trust and they're going to, they're going to do it again. And so it's better off to not say anything to them, and, and let, well, unless you want everybody to know it, because gossip is one of those things that does so much damage to churches and and families that it's you know it's beyond the beyond the pale, beyond anything that we can even describe. I've said on many occasions, a lot of times, all of the talk about a person's sin does more damage than the person's sin itself. In other words, somebody slips up, they do something that's wrong, there's not any doubt about that. Uh, you know, maybe you've got a legitimate complaint. What they did was 100% wrong. You can prove it from the Bible. So that, there's no doubt. But the fact is they committed a sin, and then they make it right with God, but people are still talking about it. And, and, and I've seen that in churches. Somebody would do something wrong. They'd come before the church. They would acknowledge their sin before the congregation and share with the congregation, you know, I did thus and thus. I've asked God to forgive me. And lo and behold, there will be certain people that will go out here and tell everybody else about it. And that's where the harm comes in because every church, every church has a reputation of some kind. And people are going to make judgments based, you know, on what they see in us. I just learned a while ago, I don't know, some of our guests here tonight uh, in talking to Brother Kenneth and uh, had mentioned the fact that they'd looked up the church and uh, there, wherever the particular website was, they have reviews for churches. I've never, I've never seen this. I don't know what our review is, but... Uh, uh, but anyway, they have reviews for churches, just like they do for businesses, you know, or certain restaurants. I know I've looked up, you know, best burgers in Houston. I got a thing about burgers, and uh, I haven't been to all of them yet either, by the way. But uh, And you, you, you look that up, and down below you'll see all of these reviews, and, and somebody will say something like, oh, the staff was so unfriendly, the food was cold, I wouldn't ever go back there and what have you. Well, w w listen, we need to keep in mind that as a church, whether, whether we intend to or not, as a church, we're going to develop a reputation over a period of time. And, and one of the worst things we can do is to talk about the faults of the church. I mean, church business is the church's business. It's not everybody else's business. And we don't need to go tell others about it, you see. So a talebearer revealeth secrets, 
but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. I so good to know that there are those of a faithful spirit, and they conceal the matter. They know that there's no benefit in talking to anybody else about it, and so consequently they just remain mute. They just don't have anything to say. And a lot of times we'd be better off if we did that. Somebody will say, well, did you hear about so-and-so? And, you know, it might do you good if you said, no, you know, I didn't. And if it's negative news, I think I'd rather not hear it. You know, I love that person. I'm praying for that person. And I'd really not hear that. You see, a lot of times we put all of the blame on the person doing the talking. And, and like uh, like. Somebody said years ago, a lot of times the person that does the most damage is a person with the garbage can ears that just lets everybody dump all of that garbage in their ears, you know, and they sit there and soak it up, and, you know, and listen to all of that. And it's time we stop listening to that kind of stuff. And because whenever you listen to it, all you're doing is encouraging them to go on and on and on. Well, verse number 14, where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Boy, I wish that I had learned that years ago as a young preacher because, you know, uh, back then as a lot of young preachers, within the first six months I thought I had it all figured out and, uh, and that, you know, that, that I knew it all. Uh, Brother Kenneth was the other day uh, was saying to me, he's taking a a seminary course online, and uh, he, he said to me, he said, I'm just discovering I don't know nearly as much as I thought I did. And, uh, you know, that's one of the pluses in applying yourself to a systematic study of the Word of God because the more you study it, I'll guarantee you, and I can say this after all of these many years uh, of preaching and teaching, uh, the more you study it, the more you realize you don't know it all. There's still so much to learn. And as long as we're in this world, we're not going to know it all. And if we've got, if we've got a lick of sense, we're going, we're going to seek out those that are wise, those that, you know, that are dependable, and we're going to listen to wise counsel. We're not going to be like the person, you know, that you, you can't tell anything. They know it all, and you're not going to tell me anything. And so... Uh, do yourself a big favor and seek the counsel of spiritually-minded, mature Christian people because regardless of how smart you are, there are times when you need the perspective of another person. Now, you might be a lot smarter than that person is, but you might not have the proper perspective on a matter. And so it, it, it'll help you to go to them, somebody you know that you can trust, somebody that, you know, is a spiritually mature believer, and just, you know, lay it out before them and get their views on it. And, and you know, that, uh, that doesn't show so much a lack of ignorance as it does a spirit of humility that you're willing to learn. And so find someone you can trust and... Uh, and uh, allow them allow them entrance into your life, and that they can give you counsel that uh, that'll be helpful. Now, verse number fifteen: He that is surety for a stranger shall smart for it. In other words, you're going to get hurt. And and he that hateth suretyship 
is sure. Now, the word surety has to do with, uh, you know, speak about being in, in, in standing good for another person's debt. Uh, it's a guarantee of payment, uh, co-signing a note, something of that nature. And, and uh, I've got myself in trouble uh, many years ago. Somebody that I, that, that, that I trusted, uh, and uh, boy, they were in a financial bind, and came to me and said, uh, you know, would you, would you co-sign a note with me? And, and, and the next thing you know, I've got them knocking at my door trying to collect this guy's debt because he wasn't making payments, you see. And so you've got to be careful about that. But notice here, he's talking about a stranger. Uh, we've, ta- we've already talked in other lessons about this matter of surety, and we're not going to go through that all again. But notice he's talking about being surety for a stranger that he shall smart forward. In other words, he's going to end up getting hurt. He's going to uh, be injured, or he's going to suffer as a result of it. Whenever we consider our responsibilities to our families, let me tell you, you cannot afford to jeopardize the welfare of your family by helping somebody that you don't even know. Are you with me? Because whenever you obligate yourself to help someone, remember, this is a stranger. You don't know anything about them. You know, they can leave you high and dry and hold in the bag, and, uh, and now you've obligated yourself, and you've, you've either got to pay it or you've got to turn around and default on the loan and lose your credibility and what have you. So uh, Br- Brother Rick Morris made a statement one time in regards to that that I thought was very wise. He said, whenever it comes to loaning people money, never loan somebody more money than what you're willing to lose without complaining about it. That's pretty good advice, you know, because, you know, somebody's got a need and uh, you respond to that need. If you can't lose that money without complaining about it, if you can't just lose it and go on. And by the way, doesn't the Bible say, allow yourself to be defrauded? That's what Paul said to the Corinthians. Remember, they were going to court against one another. I mean, you know, it was instead of, instead of settling matters in a spiritual way, you know, their philosophy was, I'll sue you. I'll take you to court. And that's what they were doing. And Paul rebuked him and he said, why don't you allow yourself to be defrauded? In other words, why don't you let other people cheat you? Let them get by with it. I mean, it's not that big of a deal because you're going to do more harm to the cause of Christ by taking it to the court than you are in just incurring the loss. And so we need to think about that whenever it comes to obligating ourselves. But notice he said, he that hateth Suretyship is sure. In, in other words, there is security, security in not overextending yourself, security in, in not, you know, obligating yourself uh, to fulfill something that maybe that you can't even do, all for the sake of helping someone that you don't even know. You often talk about the book of Proverbs being such a practical book. And this is just another good example of that. You know, I was talking the other day about the book of Romans, and my, what a, 
Wow, the depths of Romans is absolutely amazing. But when you come to Proverbs, I mean, it's just down where the rubber meets the road, gets right down where we live, and it deals with everyday situations in our life. And this is just a good example of that. Now, verse number 16, we're going to go through just a few more verses tonight. Verse 16, a gracious woman retaineth honor and and notice and strong men retain riches now i want us to look at the last part of this verse first and i want to do that because i think it'll help us to better understand the first part of the verse notice what he says strong men retain riches and, and, and the point being is that a strong man will go to almost any length even to risking his life for the sake of protecting his possessions. In other words, he's not going to allow a thief to come in uh, into his house and just take whatever he wants uncontested. He's going to have a fight on his hands. That's, that's the whole point. It says he retaineth his riches. He's not going to just let somebody take them from them. I think most of us feel that way. That's why, unlike when I was a boy, when nobody locked their doors, nowadays everybody locks their doors. You know, you lock your doors, you load your guns, you turn on the alarm, if you, and if you got a watchdog or whatever else, in other words, you take all of those precautions because you know there are people out there that'll take whatever you got. And I, I like somebody gave me a sign that says... Uh, we don't call 911 around here and had a picture of a Smith & Wesson on it, you know. I, I, I'm not suggesting you all to post that. In fact, you know, I, I really think that just might get you in trouble if you ever, uh, ever, ever had to shoot somebody. So it might be better that you don't put that sign up. But it makes a good point, you know. We're going to defend what is ours. We're not going to let somebody just come in and take it. And so here he says that the strong man retains his riches. Now let's apply that to the woman now. A gracious woman retaineth honor. So here the gracious woman retains her honor. In other words, here's a woman that is going to protect her purity in order to retain her godly character. And just as the strong man is going to resist those that try to take away his possessions, the gracious woman, the good woman, or a godly woman, they're going to do whatever they can in order to protect their honor. They don't want to ruin their reputation. They're not going to be loose living and so on and so forth. And, uh, boy, I tell you, we've got a generation of teenagers today that need to get that drummed in their head. A gracious woman retaineth their honor. And uh, it's so very important that we try to instill those principles uh, in our young people and especially in our daughters and what have you, that they maintain their purity uh, and save themselves for marriage. It's so very important. And the gracious woman retains her honor. Now, verse 17, The merciful man doeth good to his own soul. The word mercy, the Hebrew word translated mercy, means loving and kind. And, you know, it might be used to speak about any kindness that you show to a person. 
uh, in, in, in other words, you say, well, he, he was merciful to me, and which means that he extended kindness to me. And, and the point here is that the good deed, the showing of mercy, is going to be returned to the giver. In other words, that we're going to benefit from the good that we've done. That's why Jesus said in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And so those that, that show mercy to others find mercy with God. And uh, I've said on so many occasions that we are always best to ourselves when we're good to others. There's so many times we think, you know, that I don't want to deprive myself of anything, and so I'm going to withhold what a person needs. I, you know, or, 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 I, I'm not going to waste my time. I'm not going to go out on my way. I'm not going to change my schedule. I'm not going to give something, you know, that uh, that I don't think I can afford to give because I've already got plans for that money. And so we think that we're doing ourselves a favor in withholding that from other people when in reality the opposite of true is true. You're always best to yourself when you're good to others. And it's more blessed to give than to receive. And that's the principle behind it. Now, he says, But he that is cruel troubleth his own soul. So this is, remember the flip side of the coin, this is the contrast, it's just the opposite of what we've been talking about. He that is cruel, in other words, the person that refuses to show mercy, extend kindness to other people. Notice it says, he troubleth his own soul. Whereas we bring a blessing upon ourselves when we're good to others, we bring trouble into our life when we're not good to others. So whenever... Whenever you harm others, you do even greater harm to yourself. Remember the principle of the Bible, the principle of the law of sowing and reaping, that we reap what we sow. You know, if, if, if you plant corn, you're going to reap corn. If, if you plant an apple tree, you're going to get apples. You're not going to get oranges. You're going to get apples. You're going to, you're going to reap whatever it is that you sow. And that's true in all of life. But we reap more than we sow. You can take an ear of corn and go out there and plant that ear of corn, you know, and, and all of those different kernels of corn. And I mean, my, you, wow, you've just got a huge harvest of corn that, that all came from that one ear of corn, you see. So we always reap more than we sow. Those of you that are, you know, getting ready to to plant tomatoes and what have you, you're sure hoping you get more than what what you sow, and that that's the law of sowing and reaping. And, and by the way, that works for the bad as well as for the good. Whenever we do good, we reap the benefit of it. When we do bad, we reap the benefit of that. And so, you know, if you want to hurt yourself, if you want to hurt yourself, just withhold kindness from others. And it'll happen. And, and that's why, and you, and you see, it's our responsibility. He said he troubleth his own soul. And, and, and I know you've heard me say over and over again that sin has its own built-in punishment. That's one of the things I'm talking about there. God doesn't have to do anything special to punish us for our sins because our sin, our sin and the law of sowing and reaping indicates 
that we're going to reap whatever we sow and more than we sow. And so there is a built-in punishment in sin. So whenever we're cruel to others, we end up troubling our own souls. So leave here tonight and determine to do yourself a favor and be kind to others. Well, one more verse, and then I'm going to wrap it up here. Verse number 18, The wicked worketh a deceitful work. But to him that soweth righteousness shall be a sure reward. I like that old song. It says, it pays to serve Jesus. And it really does, folks. That songwriter was right. It pays to serve Jesus. It always pays to do what is right. And that's what this is all about here. These, all of these verses we've been considering tonight. It pays to do what is right. And the wicked worketh a deceitful work, but to him that soweth righteousness shall be a sure reward. That is, God's going to bless you. God's going to reward you in a way that, that is sure. In other words, you're not going to lose it. And whenever we invest our life in the things of the Lord, we are making an investment that pays eternal dividends. Because it's not just what we get back as an immediate result of the good that we've done, but it's the eternal reward that we have as a result of serving the Lord. And uh, that that's the lesson that we need to keep in mind at all times, that the choices that we make and the things that we do have eternal consequences. It's not all about now. It's about later. And that's why Jesus said that we are to lay up treasures in heaven, right? Because no good deed is going to go unrewarded. No evil deed is going to go unpunished. We reap whatever we sow. Let's bow our heads. Father, how we thank you tonight for the clear instruction of your word, how we thank you for your promised blessings and the counsel that you give in the word of God and that we can benefit as a result of doing that which is right and that which is helpful to others. Forgive us of the times that we ignore the needs of others for the times that we've been unkind and unthoughtful. And, Lord, I just pray tonight that you'll help each one of us go away with uh, the impression upon our heart that it's so very important that we, that we extend ourselves beyond our comfort zone, that we do what we can to be a blessing to other people and reach out uh, to them and be a blessing to them that in so doing that you might be able to bless us abundantly. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being here tonight. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, for the blood that was shed on the cross at Calvary, for the promise of salvation for all those that believe. And we just pray tonight, if there be even one that's a stranger to your saving grace, that before this night is over, that they'll come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and have the assurance that heaven is their home. Bless us tonight, not because we deserve anything, but because we ask it all in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. Amen. God bless you. Yes, sir.